We're going on into strongholds. We might as well rip them all down and just get on and be who we are supposed to be in Jesus and just find him. Um, I just want to be more like Jesus. That's at the end of the day. That's, that's all I want. I want to give him glory and honor. I want to reflect him in all I do. And God has such big things for everybody in this room. He's got such big things for you. That God's got destinies for us to step into to change things. That when God looks down on us, he doesn't see where we're at. He calls us into the potential that he's put on us when he formed us in our mother's wombs. So anytime God is addressing us, he's addressing us from the standpoint of seeing the treasure that is on the inside of us. And what he wants to do is he wants to pull that treasure out that's on the inside of us and help us to walk in that reality of that treasure knowing our own value. It's not a prideful thing. I, th I think people are scared that if they get a little self-esteem that they're going to be prideful, their head's going to get swelled up. And then so they, so they call it humility or call it um, holiness when really it's just a false identity of who they actually are and their worth of who they actually are in God. And for a long time, we, the church had taught that, you know, the, the, the less fun you had, the more holy you were. And I remember at times having tremendous amounts of fun with my friends and just laughing and carrying on. And I thought, man, I better cut this out because this is how the devil slips in and gets you. I need to quit enjoying life. And then when I started getting glimpses of God and the joy that was in his heart, it started changing the way I perceived God. It started changing the way I walked with the Lord. It started to free me up to where I didn't have to project my grumpiness or my insecurities onto other people or onto God of how he should feel. That I could be comfortable in my skin and who I am in God and I could promote and champion you who you are in God and begin to lift you up into the destiny that you are going to hold. See, see, that's what I want to see. I want to see people go way past me in this church. I, my heart is for you to do tremendous things past. Or if I'm the standard of this church, we are in trouble, okay? We're in trouble. Hey, y'all don't say amen too loud. Come on now. Golly. Okay. She's joking. She's uh, but, but seriously, like, like, like Jesus is the standard. Right? Uh, like, he is the one to whom we are to be looking to and to getting our guidance from. Right? And, and I'm okay to, to point you to him. I'm an okay signpost, but at the end of the day, if you don't walk away with a relationship with Jesus in and of yourself, 
you'll never step into the things that God has for you. Uh, like your whole church life will just be church attendance somewhere, right? And then church attendance and church attendance and how well you attend church. And if you do these certain things, then okay, then wow, you're, you know, you're a great Christian. But that's not the standard. The standard is relationship with Jesus and walking in that relationship where I begin to grow in the knowledge of him. And anything that would hinder the growth that I'm experiencing with God would compare to the beauty and the glory and the wonder of Christ. I would put that aside and step into him and repent of anything that would try to get in the way between me and Jesus. And that's what a stronghold is. A stronghold is anything I'm trusting in more than Jesus. Anything I'm trusting in more than Jesus. And I love that scripture where Jesus is talking about truth. And many times when we feel like truth is just information, right? Like, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you smart. You shall know the truth, and you will have lots of information. But Jesus says something else about truth. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free, not just set you free. That the truth would be creative because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so before the world existed, that Jesus was there in on creation, speaking into creation. He was the word that God the Father was speaking. So the words that Jesus speak aren't merely information or just truth for you to memorize. They are opportunities of encounter, to have an encounter with him and allow that truth to be the creative force on the inside of you that makes you into the image of the Son of God. That's why his commandments aren't burdensome. You ever wonder that? Why are the commandments of God not burdensome? How could the, how could the commandments of God not be burdensome? They're not burdensome because when God gives a command, he gives the grace to fulfill the command out. So when he gives me a command, he's already supplied the grace and the provision for me to walk it out. So the commandments don't become burdensome because I can step into that commandment with the grace God provides and suddenly be walking in the reality that I'm a new creation and that the creative power of God is working in my life. But see, when we see the commandments of God as mere rules just to keep us from having fun, we miss out on what God is really calling us into. He's calling us into a journey of, of relationship, a journey of change. See, the reality that truth has come is freedom, not knowledge. Because knowledge, the Bible tells us, puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. In other words, just because I know a bunch of stuff doesn't mean I'm going to look like Jesus. I can know a bunch of stuff and be twice a son of hell because I'm so prideful about what I know. That the information I receive from the Lord is information and opportunities for me to change. For me to be formed into the image of God. And that's what God is calling us 
two, anything that keeps me from a relationship with God, whether it be hurt, unforgiveness, lies, false mindsets, these things are strongholds. Anything I'm trusting in over and above God that's exalting itself over the knowledge of who he is, that, my friend, is a stronghold. So what is the true knowledge of God? Encounter and relationship. Encounter and relationship. See, the Bible's not just a book to memorize. It's a place where God meets us. That there is somebody standing on the other side of that love letter. And we're reading this love letter in order to understand who's on the other side of it. So that in relationship, I would know what moves and pleases his heart. That it's a relational journey that God is calling us into. And so it's, there's no quick fix. I think sometimes, like, we want God to give us a map, right? Two paces this way, four paces this way. Three. But God's more like this. He, like, gives us a compass and says, like, here's true north. Um, I want you to walk in relationship with me and walk this thing out. Now, now, why would he do that? Why would he, why would he do that in, in such a way and not just map out every detail of our life? Because if anything that makes me not dependent upon Jesus is a, can be a stronghold in my life. So God maps out our life with so much mystery so that we'll trust him for each and every step. You say, wow, that kind of makes... He said, no, no, this makes God good because God, the best gift that God could ever give you is himself. Amen. Amen. God is the greatest treasure he could give us. So if he gave us a plan, we would probably worship the plan and say, no, God, I got this. You give me the plan. But so that God can give us the best gift possible himself, he puts out a, a plan of mystery so that every step we've got to be dependent upon him to get the faith to walk this journey out. Because faith is the only entity that pleases God. Sometimes I want a journey without faith. Do I got any honest folk in here? I think I got some honest folk. Sometimes I want a journey without faith. God, just map it out. And God's like, no, this is the only thing that pleases me. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he diligently rewards those who seek him. What does it say? The very first title of that scripture, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what moves the heart of God? It moves the heart of God when I step out into faith and begin to trust him for each and every step of my life. And sometimes it feels inconvenient. Sometimes it feels really inconvenient. Because there's sometimes I feel so inadequate to do what God's called me to do. There's times I'm like, Lord, like, there's, what are you doing? And why are you using me to do it? My head is, I'm underwater here. Right? Like, like God, like, what are why are you giving me these dreams? Why are you giving me these, these big pictures in my mind? God, you know who I am. And it's like God is like, I know, but I'm with you. 
And I'm like, you're with me. Just give me the supernatural ability where I don't have to feel so insecure about it. And God's like, no, I need you to feel insecure about it so you'll keep leaning on me. It's like, okay. And so we get used to walking in the tension of faith, knowing who we are, and we get used to walking in this tension of, of the reality of like, what in the world am I doing? And once we get used to it, it comes to a place where you can't live without it. To where faith becomes the only journey, and if things are too easy and too planned out, you start getting nervous. That God is calling us into a crazy tension of mystery. And it's going to take the knowledge of his heart and who he is in order to navigate these times. And so God hasn't given a map. Everybody's wanting to know, what's God doing? What's God saying? Is God bringing revival or judgment or this? I mean, we're all wondering, right? We're all like, what in the world's happening in the world today? And it's like God's saying, you know what? I want you to walk this thing out with me in mystery and in faith. Because if I tell you the end, your mind will already be made up and you'll be closed off to the opportunities in between. You'll be so focused on the destination that you'll miss the blessings and miracles and the people you're supposed to touch along the way. And so God is calling us into that reality. He's calling us into a faith walk, a journey with him by relationship that it's going to have to depend upon the word of God. Just like Jesus when he's fighting the devil in the place of temptation. Man, don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That his word would become to us more precious than bread. That his word would become more precious than a red lobster cheddar biscuit. Come on now, I've seen some of y'all go after those cheddar biscuits. Look like a rabid dog just shaking your head and crumbs going everywhere. Say, God, give us that kind of hunger for the word of God and for the words that fall from the lips of Jesus. Oh, my goodness. What would happen if we had the hunger for a Cheddar Bay biscuit for the Lord? Where are we going today? Yeah, strongholds. What are your strongholds? See, when God is my foremost consideration in everything that I do, then everything else is in alignment. But when God quits becoming my foremost consideration in his righteousness in the kingdom of God, suddenly my whole life's out of whack. My whole life's out of whack. And to give it some kind of form of semblance or some meaning, I'll begin to order, disorder, and try to walk in it as if it's normal. See, God's world's upside down, right? God says, you want to go to the top? You need to wash some feet. Yes. Say, what? Yeah, you need to wash your feet. If you want to get your life, you got to give your life. He said, you want to tell, let me tell you where real blessing is. It's better to give than receive. It's like God's world is upside down. And when we live the right side up way, 
things become disordered and dysfunctional and we begin to walk in that disorder and dysfunction and we make so many excuses for it. And we give it names. So that way we won't have to deal with it. We, we label things, certain things, so that we won't have to deal with it and others will not try to pinpoint it out in our lives. Uh, we'll say things like that. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, if that's the way you are, then you're not interested into growing into something else. So by your own confession, you just hindered yourself from stepping into the fullness of what God has for you. Right? Well, you don't know my daddy was that way, and that's just how the, the such and suches do. Oh, so now you've labeled it and you've prideful about what you're walking in that is contrary to the knowledge of God. See, you've just got a stronghold in your life based upon something that is keeping you from growth in Jesus. Um, see, this is what God is wanting us to do. He wants us to, to, to get to the place where we trace back into our life the areas to where the problem is, right? Because many times the problem is not the symptoms, right? Like we think it's like, uh, like this gross outward sin, like that's the problems. That's not the problems. It's always something hidden back in the recesses somewhere of a place that I refuse to trust Jesus to fulfill. I'll walk in sexual sin if I don't believe Jesus will send me the one in whom he wants me to be with and satisfy that desire in my life. When I don't trust God for that, I'll begin to make all kinds of excuses for why I'm walking in these different sin issues. Right? Uh, it's why people uh, drink alcohol sometimes, right? They want to drown their sorrows. Well, let me tell you something. I've found that those sorrows are good swimmers. And so to medicate something, suddenly, you're trying to medicate something, suddenly you've compounded the problem because all you've did is put something divisive and destructive in and on top of it. And so it's going to take a great probing and a great searching to follow that cord back and figure out where was the area in my life that I didn't trust God for. And that I didn't trust him to, to heal or to, or to solve or to be the one that would do this or do that. Or what was the area in my life where I didn't trust God and I tried to do it on my own? I tried to do it in my own way. And that will be the place that the stronghold lives. And it will bed itself down and hide. That's what I'm finding out about Satan. You know, he's a serpent. And he likes to slither around. And if he can find a patch, a patch of grass high enough, he'll get up in there. And he'll bed down and be content to be there. Without being seen, just as long as he can manipulate and control your life and keep you from growing in the knowledge of God and keep you from the places that God has for you to do. And when that place that he's hiding in, especially a place that's painful that we don't want to go back to, what we'll do instead of dealing with it is we'll build up big walls and impressive castles around it 
to hide it so that nobody else will see it, but that it's impressive enough that we can get away with having it. So we can build walls around strongholds with church attendance. We can build walls around strongholds with with good things, with good deeds and, and all these kind of things. All the while, it's just an effort to try to hide the very thing we don't want to deal with. And that very thing we don't want to deal with will be the very thing that we've tried to hide and and cover up. It becomes the very thing that ends up being the epicenter and nucleus that controls and lives my life and that that dictates and and moves me to do different things. It's It's like the saying, we've been saying this, you know, for a few weeks now, but I'm only as sick as my secrets. Because the only thing Satan can use to manipulate me is that which I'm scared that somebody else is going to find out. Man, got quiet. (laughs) Is that the truth? Okay, maybe it's making people free right now, hopefully. We thank you. That sounds good. So if we trace them back, there'll always be a place to where we refuse to trust God, we fathered a lie, or a false mindset that hinders us from growth. So a stronghold is an accusation from Satan firmly planted in our minds that gets us to believe wrong things about the character and nature of God. Because if I have a false view of God, so goes my whole life. Because we are image bearers. So to the level that we obtain the right knowledge of God will be the level that we, infl- that we reflect into the earth. So Satan's way to diminish the image of God is he knows he can't touch God, right? I mean, he's not going to bake God into some sin, right? So what he's got to do is find his image bearers and plant an accusation into their mind where they begin to think God isn't good and God doesn't love them and God's not for them and God doesn't have the power to set them free. And, and if anybody finds out what's really going on, then, uh, then you know, nobody's going to love me anymore or whatever. Whatever it might be, he, he plants this accusation and gets us to live out of the light of that accusation that Satan has planted and pulls us from the truth of who God actually is. See, the only way a lie is empowered is if it's believed. How do you know you're believing a lie? When it's the only thing you talk about. (laughs) It's the only thing you talk about. It's the plank in the speck, right? Get the plank out of your eye for the speck. It's the most noticeable place in your life, and it's the thing that you're, the lens you're looking through in which you're always noticing. If I'm operating in hurt, all I'll look for is ways and places to be hurt, and I'll fall into my own trap. If I'm walking in unforgiveness, I'll find places of unforgiveness. And when I find those places, I'll fall into my own self-fulfilled prophecy of walking in unforgiveness. See, you find what you're looking for. What, what did Jesus say? Ask, seek, knock, right? Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll... 
Knock, and it'll be open to you. So what you're seeking, asking, and knocking for will be the thing that you find. So if I'm living out of that epicenter of the stronghold, it'll be the only thing I find in life. And that thing that I find then makes the castle walls that much bigger and that much thicker. But here's the good news is God can pull that stronghold down. But here's how he's going to defeat it, with the truth and with wisdom of who he actually is. Uh, and, and this is what I'm noticing about maturity and growing is that maturity is what I'm valuing. And if my, what I'm valuing doesn't change, then I'm not growing. It's kind of like this. Um, you know those uh, round, mint, plastic, icebreaker, candies? You know what I'm talking about? Are those, those are, yeah, okay, those are the thing, right? <laughs> well, so I have one, and, and, and my daughter's like the candy, like, sl- like detective, like, sleuth. Like, she can find candy, and then we'll hide it in places, and she's like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, so I'll go to like have a candy thing that I've set down somewhere and I'll pick it up and there's like nothing in it. And I'm like, oh. Uh, you know, like a Skittle bag that's like five pounds. And then I'm like, the next day I'm like, there's four lemon Skittles in there. Didn't even save me a red. And so, so she's got this candy thing, and so she, she emptied me out of candy, but I left it in my truck. And so she, found, so she finds a dollar on the ground and wants to put it inside that thing and wants me to keep it in my truck. We pick her up from daycare one day, and she's found a bunch of plastic pieces on the playground. And the plastic pieces that she's found, she comes in and says, Dad, these are my treasures. I want you to keep them in that plastic. So I'm like, okay. So I pick her up. I put them in there. I said, I've got your treasures. Don't lose my treasures. Well, yesterday, we're riding around in my truck, and she pulls out that thing, dumps out the plastic, Takes the dollar bill out, looks at it, puts the dollar bill back in, closes it up. I said, wait a second. Why did you dump out your treasures? And she said, Dad, I was four. I know now that I'm five, plastic is not treasure. (laughs) Oh. Okay. See, as she got older, she started to understand things of value. And if you're progressing in God, your values and what you value is going to begin to change. 
And so God's got precious jewels he wants to give us. But until we get to the place of maturation and maturity, why would he give us things that would end up hurting us or that we couldn't handle? And I believe that as we prosper, as our soul prospers, we're going to begin to prosper and God's going to begin to do things. But in order to grow, we're going to have to begin to really look at the root of our values and really see what am I valuing in my life? Man, some of us have Ph.D. level problems and we have a kindergarten knowledge of God. And that's not to condemn, that's just to say, maybe it's time to take a step in the other direction. Maybe it's time to change some friends. Maybe it's time to begin to get some mentors in your life that are at a place where you want to be. Maybe it's time that you start moving towards the things of God. Maybe it's time you look at your family and you say, oh God, I want to have a family that knows what it is to serve and love the Lord. So I'm going to take the lead and I'm going to step up as the leader of my household and I'm going to lead them into the ways of godliness. As imperfect and as crazy as it looks, I'm I'm going to put aside what everybody else has said about me and I'm going to step into what God has said about me and he said that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and he's put me as the head of my household to lead them into all godliness. Yeah, and it's hard sometimes, right? Because we know ourselves. It's awkward sometimes to pray with your family. You've been rushing around trying to get kids ready. You're just ready to get them to school. You done fought with your wife five or six times? Don't grab my hand and get in a circle and pray. No, you got to put us, that's pride. You've got to put that aside and say, no, time out. It's not about what's going on right now. It's about where I'm going as a man. It's about where I'm going as a woman of God. It's, it's about where I'm going. So I'm going to put aside my little mood here and my little thing and how weird and awkward I feel. And I'm going to grab hands with my family and I'm going to begin to speak life over them. And I'm going to begin to shame the devil by stepping into a place that he says I'm not worthy for, but that God already said I'm to step in and that I am worthy for. We better get into some scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm just going to read these first uh, couple verses here, and then we'll be looking at Judges chapter 6. We're going to get into the life of Gideon. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live as human beings, we do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons but are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. What are strongholds? Here we go. We tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. Stronghold, once again, anything that we're trusting more than Jesus. 
and I think what happens sometimes is nobody wants to look bad, right? And I think this is the place where Satan wants to use, right? Yes. Is that we have an ego that we want to maintain, right? And you know what ego stands for? Edging God out. See, an ego is a false self. An ego is the self I've created and that I want the world to see. An ego is not my true self. It's the self that I project onto the world and how I want to be perceived. The real us is hidden with Christ in God. That's where the real us is. But the ego wants to, to live there and wants to dominate and wants to keep us living out the reality of who we've, the lie we believed of who we actually are. Now, there's something about ego because ego has taken us a long time to build who we are and what we want others to perceive us to be. That's why ego is so hard to give up. Because the thought of starting over and starting new is terrifying when you've believed a lie so long about who you're supposed to be and who you've projected to others to be. Um, it's like this in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes up to Jesus. Good teacher. We, we, we know that you're of God. We, we get it. But what must a man do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says this statement. Unless a man be born again. And you know Nicodemus had spent his whole life practicing to become a Pharisee. He had memorized whole chapters, whole books of the Bible. <laughs> He had a good name in the community. He, he had all these things going for him. And then Jesus says, oh yeah, you got to be born again. Because when grace comes in, grace is, is that you've been created. Non-grace is I've created myself. So to give up the fact that you've created yourself and that you've been created and you're being molded, man, is frightful sometimes, scary. But this is the place that God is calling us to, a faith that we would trust our creator more than we would trust our own sense of self-identity and who we, actually, who we think we are actually to be. So what I've found is, is that in handing over God ego, there's always something, an accusation of the enemy or something that rises up that says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You're not that person. We know who you are. Remember, you did this, 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 and this. And when that accusation comes, we think, yeah, I did do this, 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 and this. And yeah, I guess I was just presumptuous. I shouldn't step out into this thing God's calling me to because, yeah. Do you see, that's how the stronghold operates. 
A stronghold operates by speaking lies into us, and the only way they're empowered is if we believe them. And the place to where God wants us to get is that we would know what God said about us and what God's heart is for us beyond the accusations of the enemy. And then we would begin to step into bold things for God by his grace, not based upon our ability or not based upon the level of knowledge or whatever we think we've got, that it's really got nothing to do with it, that God is looking for a people that are just available. He's looking for a people, not that are perfect, but people that are humble and people that just want to step into the things of God and please him. That these are the things that God is calling us into. Demons are content with you coming to church, listening to Christian music, just, as, just stay in your lane and be a good little boy or a good little girl and just keep the image up. And God's like, man, I'd rather meet you in the reality of who you really are. I'd rather get into the mess with you. I'd rather meet you into the place of honesty, not into some place of false uh, perceptions or, or, or these other things. Uh, that, that the fear that the enemy uses, that he wants to use that fear against us to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. And all fear is, is false evidence appearing real. It's not real. Have you ever worked yourself up so much by a thought that you created a monster just from one thought? Yes. So, man, did you see how so-and-so looked at me? I'm discerning. I know what that look meant. I think they're talking about me behind their back. Oh, look, they're, they're with a group of friends giggling now. I knew it. I knew it. They are talking about me. You know what? Everybody in here hates me. And I can't stand to be here with these people. Why am I even here? I'm leaving. And I ain't coming back. All from a perceived thought that had no validity in truth. See, what we magnify is what will explode in our life. If I magnify problems, what do you think is going to be? But if I start to magnify God... If I start to magnify God, suddenly I begin to find other things, good things, really, really, really good things. See, it always starts with a thought, then it becomes a word, then it becomes an action, and if repeated, it becomes a habit, and if it becomes a habit, it becomes a character, and if it becomes a character, it becomes an identity. The fear of others and what they would say, the fear of anything other than a healthy respect for God and pleasing him and him alone. See, many times I think we're in the prison of what others think about us. How many things have we not attempted because we were scared what somebody else would say? Uh, okay, we gotta get going. We gotta get going. All right, Judges chapter six. 
We're going to be reading about Gideon. The main thing, theme about Judges is, is that it keeps coming up in Judges is that uh, there's this constant phrase that keeps getting mentioned and it says this, uh, the people did what was right in their own eyes. Right. So, so these series of judges that God raises up, um, most of which ended in failure and were disappointments, but had some bright flashes because God is still working uh, no matter what the situations are. And so, and so here we find this man, Gideon, whom God is trying to call to deliver his people. Uh, judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, a pre-incarnate Old Testament theophany of Jesus, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah, owned by Joash the Abizrite. He arrived while Joash's son, Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press. Okay, did you get that? Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press so he could hide it from the Midianites. Notice something here. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. When people would be thresh wheat, that would be something that they always did in public, never something to be done in private. They would have this implement. It was like a rectangular board with holes drilled in it and rocks drove into the holes and they would drag it around by a rope and they would drag this thing. It was called a threshing sledge and they would drag it around outside. And as they drug it around, it would begin to work on the wheat and it would begin to separate the wheat kernel from the chaff as they would drag it around. They would then get a fork and get up under it and when the wind would begin to blow, they would throw it up into the wind and the wind would blow away that which was light and the wheat kernels would fall to the ground. Notice Gideon is in a wine press, which was really about a six foot circumference inside of a building. What he was supposed to be doing outside publicly with the strength of the wind and with tools and implements, he's doing in his own power privately. So here is Gideon doing a kernel at a time in a place of hiding because of the fear that was in his life. Gideon is in an inner hidden chamber. And when any time we're operating in fear, our first instinct will be isolation. How many of you know it, man? You, you, the first thing you want to do is you want to unplug from people and just do your own thing. See, what he should have been doing outside, outside of his own power, he's now doing inside in the own strength of his flesh. Um, and he is now hidden trying to get provision in his own power. So he is limited in his potential. He's using something one way, which is really meant for another purpose altogether. He's what we would call functionally dysfunctional. Functioning, yet still dysfunctional. Have you ever seen that show, Hoarders? Man, I got to take a shower just after watching that show. Just stacks of things and cats everywhere. 
But you notice when they come in to do the intervention, they don't think anything's wrong. See, when you've been in the mess so long, you begin to define dysfunction as functional. And you begin to walk in things that you don't think anybody sees and that's normal to you. But the reality is, is you just walked in the mess so long, you don't know any other kind of way. And so what you have to do is you have to be honest with yourself and say, you know what, I'm tired of the dysfunction. I'm going to quit posturing myself as if just because I'm functional and I'm going to begin to deal with these places in my life. See, some of us are going through tremendous struggles. And we got a big old Bible up under our arm. Come on now. I want to tell you something. Where does God show up? In the middle of Gideon's mess with him in the wine press. The angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, pops in. He pops in in the middle of that mess. Like Gideon, what's going on, man? <laughs> this looks kind of dysfunctional here. But notice what the angel of the Lord or this pre-incarnate version of Jesus, look what he says. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, verse 12, and said to him, the Lord is with you, courageous warrior. It's like, dude, if anybody's not courageous, courageous, I'm making up words today, courageous. If anybody's not courageous, it's the guy hiding, trying to do the work in his own power. But Jesus shows up and prophesies him beyond where he is at. See, see, this is it. The only way you get anywhere is when the king of kings comes in and prophesies you out of the place where you're at. That pull and that tug that you feel is a good God prophesying you out of the place where you are at. There is treasure on the inside of every single individual here. Before you were in a sin image, God said, I made you in my image. And so what God wants to do is wipe off the sin image and begin to show you his image where you can begin to step into the things that you don't don't feel worthy for that God shows up right in the middle of his mess and prophesies him out of the place to where he's at it's like God is the worst picker of all time you remember growing up on the playground it was a dodgeball or kickball and you always watched a little round where you could see who the best players were right and so you watch and you say, okay, this guy's terrible. This guy's good. This guy's okay. He's going to be like my middle tier pick. Um, this guy's going to be last. Uh, God, God doesn't pick like we pick. God is more concerned about the wellness and the nature of the heart that is on the inside of somebody. God looks on the heart. So God shows up and he looks for the broken. Why? 
Because the broken will be the first ones that will throw aside their old life in order to step into the new life that God has for them. Why do you think it's always the people that are hurting and broke that come to the Lord? Because they're the first ones that say, yeah, this isn't very good. I'm going to take you up on your offer. And so this is what God is looking for. He's looking for the weak so that he can count himself to be strong and show himself strong among us. See, some of us are trying to be so strong and God's just saying, I wish you'd be weak for a moment. I wish you'd just get vulnerable for a moment with me and let's just get real. Right? Uh, Think about the people Jesus picks. Jesus picks religious skeptics, bad businessmen, Jewish fundamentalists, thief, shady government worker, a radical terrorist, some mama's boys, some spoiled rich kids, the poor, a prostitute, and a formerly demon-possessed woman. And I got one better than that. And you. See, it's like God's just looking for a place where he can be made strong. And that's how God, God taught me spiritual warfare unbeknownst to me. Because my problem was I was a spiritual chicken. Anybody ever been a spiritual chicken? When I got saved, I said, okay, God, I'm going to give my life to you. But don't get me to talk to nobody about it. (laughs) This is the secret place, me and you. And it's just going to be me and you, and I'm going to have a nice little life. And we're not going to inconvenience one another. We're just going to have just me and you. And we're going to be cool. You ever play it on out to God how you gonna have it how he should be doing it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's what I was doing. So so I wouldn't talk to anybody about the Lord. I sure wasn't gonna get up in front of nobody and say anything. And so I just went on about my way, gonna live my life. But the Lord started dealing with me. And he said, Matt. If there's anything in your life that you fear more than me, then am I really your God? I said, Jesus, you would say something like that, wouldn't you? (laughs) See, God loves you too much to lose you. He'd rather speak frank with you. And so I said, okay. Yeah, this is a problem. What do we do? He spoke to my heart, said, I want you to carry the Bible with you everywhere you go. Say, God, really? The Bible? There's no other book that looks like the Bible. Everybody's going to know it's the Bible. Big old book with tabs sticking out and it says Holy Bible on the front. I said, God, what, what are you doing? So I said, okay. Let's do it. So everywhere I went, no matter where I went, had my Bible in my arm. 
And it didn't help that the Bible was turquoise. <laughs> because the only Bible I had was the one my mom bought me in 1992. <laughs> so I had a turquoise Bible walking around. And I took it everywhere I went with me. And man, when I would walk through, because where we parked to go into work, it was right in the smoking area. And y'all know the coolest people are the people that are in the smoking area. They look like James Dean, you know, they're just like. And I come in there with a Bible. And I walk in, and it looked like the Red Sea parted when I come in there with that Bible. People just. And I'm like, oh. And so I had to learn what it was to bear that being associated with that book. And so I was like, hmm. So I said, okay. So I would get into work, and I'd put the Bible down. I would go to work. So on break, I would go, take the Bible with me, and I'd read the Bible. God said, I want you to start reading it publicly, reading it in front of people. Not to make a show, but there was something in my heart God was trying to address within me. He was trying to deal. This isn't the rule for everybody. I'm not telling everybody to do this. This is what God was dealing with me. The Lord would tell me, like, I want you to wear Christian T-shirts that say Jesus on them. So I'd carry my Bible wherever I went. Wear Christian t-shirts. Then I'd get to a red light. And God would speak to my heart. Say, lift your hands up and start worshiping. Oh, God, come on. I'm at a red light. My windows aren't tinted. People can. Okay. And then the Lord would start moving on me and I'd start crying. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know this is crazy, I know. And I would just start bawling. And then I'd get honks. Lights turn Oh, sorry. The Lord would show me people on my way places and say, pull over there and witness to them. I'd say, oh God, come on. I don't even know what to say. Just pull over. I'd pull over and witness. It was like God was dealing with all these little insecurities on the inside of me. And I was doing spiritual warfare and I didn't even know it. It was like what we don't confront won't change. And so God's telling some of you to confront your spiritual chicken that's on the inside of you so that you can begin to push the boundaries of your life and step into things that you never knew possible. See, Jesus come down in the middle of me being a scaredy cat and said, courageous warrior, I'm calling you to be a deliverer of people. I said, what? Who are you talking to? Jesus, you know me, but Jesus was calling out the treasure that he saw that one day I would be proclaiming the gospel in front of people, that we would be ministering to the hurting and to the broken. He saw that in me way back when, when I didn't feel worthy, he saw what was in me and he called it out and he said, go into the world and preach the gospel. But it's a process, man. It's a process. But you know what? I got comfortable in it. 
I got to where God didn't have to tell me to do that anymore. I'd kick that song on and go to praising the Lord no matter who was at the red light with me. I'd roll some, hey, roll your window down. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. <laughs> I'm serious. People get weird when you do that kind of stuff. But, but it was something that God was doing in me. So I took a box of Bibles to church. I started handing them out. HR person comes to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm handing out these Bibles. I didn't know there was a thing where you weren't supposed to hand out Bibles. I said, well, you're really not supposed to do that, but I didn't see anything. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm handing out Bibles. Here. I kept a pack of them in my car everywhere I went, just handing them out. See, things started shifting. Then I would go through the smoke area going into work. You got to pull over and say, what's in that book anyway? I said, oh man, the best news you ever heard in your life. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. He looked at me, put his glasses up, Man, I like that. I said, yeah, there's a lot more good stuff in there too. Suddenly, the whole dynamic changes at my job. Now, I'm sitting down in the smoke break area, reading my Bible and people's asking me questions on break. The high-level executives in the company call me into their office, close the door, and begin to open up about issues in their life. I'm an $8-an-hour line cook. <laughs> and they're asking me, what's going to tell me? I need some advice on this. What do you think about this? A man showed up, same thing, in the break area. And he had gotten beat up, and they stripped him naked. And so he had a, you know those signs they wrap around each side of a pole? It's like a skull advertisement or something. Grizzly, I think. He had one of those on each side of him and ran up. Everybody in bleeding, I mean, help, help. Everybody ran, but the Spirit of the Lord came over me, and I ran to him. And everybody said, what? And so I went and got pants, and we got pants on him, and I, and I let him use my phone, and we got shoes on him. I said, here, I'm just restoring dignity. I'm thinking this is just normal. And I come back in, and the vice president pulls me aside and says, why'd you do that? And I said, because Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I'm just saying, like, dude, it's not overnight. But if you'll start working this thing, it'll start to work for you. 
See, I couldn't see that I would be in front of people having to come up with stuff to say on behalf of God to his people. I couldn't have dreamed that. But God was chipping away a little bit at a time and it all started with courageous warrior. I'm gonna call you out of your current place and I'm gonna call you into a place that you can't dream or imagine and you're not gonna be able to plan it. You're not gonna be able to figure it out. You're gonna have to walk in mystery the whole time and be very frustrated at times. But trust me, I'm doing something in your life and I've got an end goal that I'm working towards. Now I could tell you, I got a hundred things I could tell you from that, but I, let's move on. We're coming too close. And Gideon said, pardon me, but if the Lord is with us, why has such disaster overtaken us? Where are all his miraculous deeds our ancestors told us about? They said, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. See, Gideon asked the most common question, where were you when I was hurting? And the funny thing here is he's asking God where he is and where is God. Where were you? Uh, here. I'm here with you. Verse 14, and then the Lord himself turned to him and said, you have strength, deliver Israel from the power of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And Gideon said to him, but Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Just look, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my family. See, God had already addressed him as deliver, deliverer, but he's still hanging on to an identity that God has not given him. Strongholds more times than not are things that we're hanging on to other than the enemy putting things onto us. It's kind of like that thing. Remember that deal, quit hitting yourself? It's like that. Like, hey, stop hitting yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, verse 16, the Lord said to him, ah, oh, but I will be with you. Oh, man, isn't that cool? You will strike down the whole Midianite army, Gideon said, to, and Gideon said to him. If you are really pleased with me, then give me a sign of proof that you're really speaking with me. Do not leave this place until I come back with a gift and present it to you. And the Lord said, I will stay here till you come back. Do you realize that? God is waiting on Gideon. A lot of times we're trying to wait on God, and God said, man, he's waiting on us. Isn't that cool? Gideon went and prepared a young goat along with unleavened bread made from ephah flour and he put the meat in a basket and broth in a pot and he brought the food to him under the oak tree and presented it to him. And God's angel said to him, put the meat and unleavened bread on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did as instructed. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff. Fire flared up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Now watch what Gideon is struggling with here. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he said, oh no, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, you're safe. Do not be afraid. You're not gonna die. Gideon built an altar there for the Lord. Get this, what he named the altar and named it, the Lord is on friendly terms with me. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yeah, to this day, there's, it is still there in Ophrah of the Abizrites. 
Isn't that cool? The Lord is on friendly terms with me. See, he thought God would show up and kill him. And God said, no, I want to show up and love on you and call you a friend and do the work that only I can do in your life. See, some of you need to build an altar today, and you need to call it, the Lord is on friendly terms with me. Quit fighting against God. Start fighting with God. Come on now. Uh, when Jacob gets blessed, Jacob gets blessed when he gets wrestling against God. But then when he starts wrestling with God and hanging on to God, then God starts blessing him. See, see it's okay to wrestle with God. It's not good to wrestle against God. Come on now. And, and there's a difference between the two. Now watch what happens. This is where we're going to close. I promise. Okay? Promise. Verse 25, the night the Lord said to him, take the bull from your father's herd as well as the second bull, one that is seven years old. Now get this, pull down your father's bell altar and cut down the nearby Asherah pole. Do you see what he's telling him? Go back to the place that put fear in your life. And cut down that false altar and that false image of God in your life. Build the altar that says, I am on friendly terms with God. And cut down the altar that someone else has erected in your life and told you that God's a certain way that he's not. You know, I was trying to hook a DVD player up in our living room. And behind our TV... Like, there's like a sound system, a TV, a dish, a Google, a Chromecast. Like, I mean, if you look behind our TV, it's scary. It's like fire hazard scary, okay? <laughs> and you know, I was wanting to hook this DVD player up, but it's like, here's one more thing. How in the world am I going to? And so you know what I had to do? I had to follow every chord from where it started and go to every place to find what device am I unplugging because I can't unplug the TV and plug in the DVD player and get an image I had to follow the cord back because it was such a mess I had to follow that cord back to the very place that it was plugged in to identify which one I needed to unplug and I think what happens sometimes is is that we just see the big mess and we just start unplugging things so we start unplugging church attendance. We start unplugging people that we need in our life. We start unplugging this and that. And we just, and then before you know it, we've unplugged all the things that we needed to work to show the proper image. And so I had to find the thing that wasn't necessary and follow the cord all the way back to the source to unplug the thing where I could replace what needed to be unplugged with what needed to be plugged in. This is what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to follow that cord back and to unplug the right thing and stop unplugging the wrong thing. So Gideon had to go to the source. Follow the cord back to the hurt. Start beginning to see the patterns in his life. You know what I noticed? There's patterns in my life. Do you realize every four years I've noticed this just by the history I have with the Lord? He illuminated it to me. Every four years, I want to quit something and start something new. Why? I don't know. But I followed that cord back and found it. 
So now when four years pops up, I say, I don't care how I feel. God, what are you saying? It might be relationships. You keep getting into bad relationships. Have you followed the cord back and say, what am I not willing to trust God for? Or do I believe God won't give me his best for? What am I doing that every time for? Do you have the courage to follow the cord back? Because to follow the cord back, sometimes you got to get on your knees and move some furniture around. But you need to unplug that cord. I love Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus is at the door and he's knocking. And the church was probably like, Jesus, this is too much of a mess. You are not coming in here. You ever, ever have people do that? They pop in on you and you open the door and they try to look over your shoulder to see what? Say, I don't know you like that. Don't be looking behind me. I'm trying to see if you keep house or something. You know, Jesus isn't like that. Jesus says that he wants to come in and sit down and eat with you. And he knows about all those skeletons in that closet. He knows about all that hurt and all those things, and he's not judging you for it. He just wants you to begin to allow him to have access to the different places in your life. Not so that he can expose you and shame you, but so that he can begin to heal the things that need to be healed. See, when we begin to understand the heart of God and what he's really after, we'll trust him with anything and we'll let him come close. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to tear down the strongholds by showing you how much he's for you. By prophesying over you, courageous warrior, right where you're at. This is my beloved son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased, right where you're at. Calling out the treasure that's on the inside of you. Would you stand to your feet with me?